It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Am I allowed to say balls to the wall? Welcome to episode number 573 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, September the 30th. New season, new sort of weird, plucky, trumpety, more triumphant sounding intro music. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams, a whole whack of baseball teams ahead of the MLB playoffs. And, of course, the Locked On NHL Network has launched today. If you're a hockey fan, Check it out. See if you can find your team on there. Not all of the teams have launched just yet, but there are a bunch out there that have their feeds available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're a hockey fan looking for smart, local knowledge of each team, we are the place to go, the Lockdown Podcast Network. I personally find hockey media to be very bad, mostly, and the goal with the Lockdown NHL Network is to provide a bit of an outlet for people who generally think most hockey media is bad and finding something local and good and smart and engaging, and uh, I think we're offering that already on the Lockdown Podcast Network, so make sure you're checking out all the NHL shows if you are a hockey fan or if you're getting back into hockey this season, whatever it is, it's a good time. All right. On today's show, it was media day on Saturday, so that officially means we are back with a new season for the Toronto Raptors. They are now out in Quebec City doing their preseason training camp, all that good stuff, getting ready to head to Japan to take on the Houston Rockets next week in a pair of preseason games. Uh, so there's that, there was media day, there was Masai and Kyle and Marcus Gasol and all the usual crowd chatting up at the podium on media day at the, I believe, Scotiabank Arena is where they held it. I was not able to attend this year, but there was plenty of video posted afterwards. So really, I'm getting all the good stuff anyway without having to jump on a train to get down there. So that's the best but both worlds, I suppose. Uh, so we're going to talk about all the stuff that happened in the media day today, sort of the big takeaways, not a ton in terms of like tangible on-court mattering things, because guess what? 
it's media day. Nothing ever of interest really happens at media day aside from Kawhi laughing. Typically, it's just sort of like, hey, how's everybody doing? You're back in the groove. Everyone's nice and chipper, looking ahead to the season, talking about how they're going to repeat as champions, all that good stuff. Nothing terribly unexpected, but there were some interesting comments from Masai Ujiri on Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry also had a nice press conference where he seemed extremely chill and talked about how he's not quite where he wants to be, but a month behind of his schedule based on that surgery he had in the offseason to fix his thumb and all that stuff. So we'll get into Kyle, uh, and we'll talk about Norm Powell and OG Ananobi as well. A couple of guys that I think are very interesting this season and kind of key if the Raptors want to remain very competitive in the Eastern Conference and potentially scare some people in the postseason, those guys are going to be important. And OG in particular was kind of a topic of conversation by, you know, among Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri on Media Day. So we'll get to him at the end of the show as well. But first, let's begin with Masai Ujiri and his comments on Kyle Lowry. Masai talked about Kyle as, as a sort of extended part of his preseason press conference. Uh, Masai made the joke when he got up there that he was feeling lonely without Kawhi and Danny Green flanking him. That's okay. Masai is more than engaging enough to carry a press conference on his own, and he did so. And he talked about Kyle Lowry a little bit in there and referenced Kyle as sort of a legacy guy and how his legacy with the Raptors matters when it comes to contract negotiations, and I think by extension, the possibility of potentially trading him midseason because he's an expiring deal, and I think it's important to take away from this that Masai said all those things, and I think that's going to matter in, in terms of how they you know make these decisions with Kyle this season. I think there's this sort of impression of Masai Ujiri that he's this ghoulish, shrewd, doesn't really care about feelings, just says fuck sentimentality. I don't think that's going to be the case when it comes to Masai and Kyle Lowry. And I've been pleading for this to be the case all summer long, and I'm, I was glad to hear him sort of put pen to paper or voice to air or whatever the hell and talk about how Kyle's legacy with the team matters when it comes to making decisions about his you know station within the team and what his future is going to look like because... It's true. It's like a Dirk Nowitzki type thing. He is so integral to everything that's happened for the Raptors over the last seven years. You know, his his arrival coincided uh, with a year delay in the Raptors becoming relevant and making the playoffs every year. And obviously he was critical to winning the title. He was not Kawhi, but he was damn important. He was the second best player, third best, however you want to line up him and Pascal Siakam, whatever it is. I think he was probably the second best on a title team. That is important. And now he sort of is in this afterglow phase uh, as sort of a legend of the franchise. And I think it's really important for however the next step of Kyle's career with the Raptors or somewhere else goes, I think it's really important for it not to be some sort of ghoulish cutting of ties. It's got to be something where there's not sour grapes on either side. I think there's been a lot of times in Raptors history where guys have left and there's been, you know, sore feelings, even with DeMar, you know, he gets traded and he's upset with the team. There's all this sort of, you know, feuding between him and Masai Ujiri over the internet or whatever. And then Kyle Lowry's pissed off. And that leads to just sort of like a sour feeling going into the season last year. Obviously that was fixed, fixed quite quickly by how good Kawhi is. But for the most part, you know, there was a lot of sort of anger after DeMar was traded and DeMar himself felt jilted by the franchise and still sort of talked about it even into last year and into after the postseason when he was asked about the Raptors the title. Um, So that is something I think the Raptors have to avoid when it comes to Kyle. You can't go, you know, burning a bridge with your most important and best player in franchise history. You just can't do that. And I think, you know, if the Raptors want to go forward talking about themselves as like a destination in the future and as sort of a marquee franchise, that's so important. The relationship that you have with your players matters a lot to people outside, especially for Kyle, who is so respected around the league by people, especially even more so now that he's won a ring. 
that dude has respect and reverence around the league. And if you go and just trade him while you're on a road trip in February because it, you, you get the 27th pick in the draft or whatever it is, that's not going to fly. I don't think either with the fan base who loves Kyle Lowry and finally it seems like the entire fan base is on the Kyle train as opposed to just the smart ones. Uh, finally, it seems like he is just disreputable across the entire fan base. That's good. I think if you went and traded him away for some, you know, ethereal pick that is not going to be particularly high, is not going to be sort of, you can't put a name to it or anything like that, that's going to cause a lot of sore feelings, both on the side of fans and on the side of Kyle. Like, I can't imagine, even if you do right by him and send him to some franchise where he's going to be able to compete for a title, I'm not sure that's entirely what Kyle's going to want. Like, trading him in the middle of the season, he's got kids in Toronto, he's got family ties and everything like that. I think trading him in the middle of the season would kind of be a a sour way to end that relationship. And you can't go and do that, man. You have to finish this relationship, whatever the way it is, whether he walks off gracefully next summer after a lovely send-off at the end of the year, or you just bring him back and you have him continue to play for the team for the next two or three years, whatever it is, it has to be a a, a peaceful parting of the ways between the Raptors and Lowry. And, you know, a year ago, that seemed like it wouldn't be possible because of all the angst that was built up from from the DeMar trade and everything like that. And it seemed like if the season went poorly... He was just going to be off, you know, cast off in the summer, and it was going to be a pretty unceremonious ending. You can't have that, and there's no reason for that, and the title makes it so. There's really no reason to, like, rush this decision or anything like that. There's such a runway here for some sentimentality and for Masai to sort of plot out his decisions here. And honestly, bring Kyle back. Fuck it. Like, he's, like, 33, 34, yes, but... The next contract he's on, when you factor in that the cap's probably going to go up a little bit here as gambling money comes in and whatnot, and when you factor in that, you know, you still have to have a team around Pascal Siakam and maybe OG Ananobi or whatever it is you're building towards to sell to free agents in 2021, Kyle Lowry being on that team, whether he's a backup point guard, whether he's just sort of a ceremonial starter who, you know, plays 25 minutes a game and, you know, is still sort of driving the bus but is not as essential to the success of the team... Like that's a good guy to have on hand to recruit if you're looking for free agents in 2021, if you're looking to just have a contract to potentially move. And again, I'm not a huge fan of that idea, just selling him off ghoulishly. But maybe like I just think with Kyle, it makes a lot of sense to try to bring him back. And Masai talked about that. And I think Kyle even mentioned that his representation has been talking with the team. That's encouraging. Whether it ends up with a contract this season or if it waits to the summer, whatever it is, it's nice to know they're at least talking. It doesn't sound as though there's just some you know season-long farewell to Kyle in, in the works here. It seems like there, there's a very real chance he's in the plans going forward. And I think most fans would love that. I think that'd be great. You know, barring some crazy catastrophic drop-off in his production this season, which I don't foresee, um, because he's so smart and because he's such a good shooter and because he's such a smart playmaker, like, that's all going to age pretty well, even at his diminished size. He's not Russell Westbrook out there where he relies on his athleticism to get things done. He's been succeeding for years in spite of his athleticism. So I think his skill set's going to age pretty well, and there's a very real argument to be made that Kyle's the guy to keep around long term and you know there's the whole Fred Van Vliet question I suppose we'll get into that later this week as we continue our pressing preseason questions but I do think there's a real chance that Kyle ends up still being the preferable option to be your starter next season even if Fred Van Vliet has a nice year this year I just we know that Kyle's a better player and maybe the age curve will sort of send him below Fred in the hierarchy at some point here I don't really envision that happening this season. I am also kind of skeptical about Fred Van Vliet this season and whether or not he's actually the point guard of the future. And we'll get to that again later in the week when we continue on. We'll talk to Josh Howe on Thursday about that. But um, no, I, I think 
the Kyle thing, it was encouraging the, of all the things on media day, the stuff about Kyle and the talking between his representation and the legacy stuff and acknowledging how important he is and how it's sort of a different set of circumstances, a different set of criteria by which they evaluate the personnel decision going forward with Kyle as opposed to, say, Marcus Saul or Serge Ibaka. I think it's important and I think it's good that they mentioned that and it makes me very, very glad that they did. And we'll continue talking about Kyle Lowry in just a second, but first to remind you that Manscaped is the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so Kyle Lowry, he spoke as well in addition to Masai Ujiri on Media Day. And, you know, he just seems so at peace. He just seems so relaxed, so chill, does not seem to give a damn what people are saying with regards to the Raptors not being able to to repeat. Honestly, the people who were just like out there being like, oh, the Raptors are toast, the Raptors can't repeat. It's kind of low-hanging fruit. Like, obviously, they're a very different team without Kawhi Leonard with a much lower ceiling. Whatever, you're not like reinventing the wheel by suggesting that the Raptors aren't going to win a title this season. Congratulations on your you know historic discovery. But when it comes to all of that, Kyle seems to not give a shit, and that's frankly refreshing. It feels like Kyle has kind of always been unfairly maligned for things in the past, and I'm not sure if that really played on him. I know he's had sort of his emotional, sort of dramatic you know, fights with himself over his playoff performance and stuff like that. He's had the solo shooting session after game one against Miami way back in the day uh, when things were oh so much less simple than they are now and so much more stressful than they are now. But the stuff Kyle said about just like not caring about what people said and just sort of like going into it very relaxed and, and sort of seemingly at peace with everything he's done in his career, that was really nice to see. And, and I mean, it's so earned for him. He's done so much for the team, done so much for sort of re- rehabilitating his own image after he you know, came to Toronto as a bit of a malcontent. And the way his story has played out for the Raptors has been so remarkable and so unique and so beautiful. And I'm glad that he's sort of reaping the rewards of that, where he's just, he seems unburdened in a way that he's never felt that way before. You know, last year, obviously he's coming in, he's facing questions about Damar getting traded and, you know, forging chemistry with Kawhi Leonard. He just kind of seemed above it all, um, not in a, like a negative way. He just seemed like he was like, God, this stuff, really? I'm being asked about this again. Um, and I'm glad that he just seems like he's very, very at peace in his own skin this season. And that's great to see. Uh, so a couple things he mentioned, though. He did mention that he's about a month behind his sort of regular schedule. He had the surgery in the summer on his thumb, and he mentioned that, you know, he's still not where he wants to be physically and all that good stuff. But, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily something to be concerned about, really. I, I mean, I think for the entire team and for the entire fan base, really, I think it's smart to bake in a little bit of an expectation of a, of a slow start this season. For so long, the Raptors have kind of jumped out of the gate really hot. They've been really consistent, usually. And for me, I think this season, it's important to expect a bit of a tailing off of that trend. Because I think it's it's just natural. These guys spent 
all year playing basketball into June. Marcus all played at the Worlds uh, and went to the gold medal game and won it and had another parade and drank all the rosé in the world. Kyle Lowry's 33, had surgery in the summer, played until mid-June. I think all these guys are going to be a little bit sort of slow to get rolling here, and I think that's smart. Like, I think it's intelligent for the Raptors to not throw them into the fire right away and say, all right, go play 30 games in a preseason game. Go bust your ass and play 38 minutes in the in the season opener against New Orleans. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see a lot of guys getting looks. I think we're going to see a lot of load management and stuff like that, whether it's guys just not playing entire games or whether it's just sort of, all right, Marcus Saul, tonight we'll have you play 18 minutes while Serge Ibaka fills in for the rest of the center minutes, and then some other nights it'll be vice versa, and Serge will get a rest. I think we're going to see a lot of that early on in the season just to get guys acclimatized to playing again and to not just heap too much onto their shoulders, too much wear and tear onto, the, onto their bodies too early in the season, because what's that? What's the point of that? Um, and I think maybe we'll see early on if the Raptors start like 10-10 and 10 or something like that. They have a pretty tough schedule to start. They have a road trip in the first couple weeks of the season after coming off of a trip from Japan, which if you think back to teams that have done that before, I know the Warriors have gone to China and come back and won a title, but there is sort of a built-in recovery from that crazy time change all the jet lag and just sort of it throws you off early on and I think teams have talked about this whether it's in the NBA or the NHL because they've sent some teams over to play in China there too and I think it's sort of an effect that is unavoidable and you're going to see maybe a groggy start to the season for the Raptors and that's fine like they're going to be working working on some stuff they'll be working on what their starting lineup's going to look like they're going to work on just getting guys up to speed and not throwing them into the fire and having them play insane amounts of minutes. And I think we'll see a bit of a slow start. And that might trigger some panic among people being like, oh, no, they're 10 and 10. Are they going to start trading guys off? I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. I think we'll see probably a lot of teams start off pretty slow in the Eastern Conference in particular because a lot of teams are figuring their stuff out. You know, Indiana's going to be without Victor Oladipo trying to work in Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren and Jeremy Lamb and all the guys they brought in while figuring out how to recover from the losses of Bogdan Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young. We're going to see the Heat trying to figure out uh, who's our point guard. Are we starting Goran Dragic? Are we starting Justice Winslow? Where does Jimmy Butler fit into all this? How's the big man pairing of Bam Adebayo and Kelly Olynyk going to work in 2019 as two big guys? Like, there's going to be issues and growing pains for a lot of these teams in the East. I think Milwaukee's probably the one that you would say it's not going to be that tough a transition just because their style of play is so transferable. You know exactly what they're going to look like most times out. Uh, but even then, they'll be trying to work in the Lopez brothers. I don't know if they're going to play them together. That would be weird, but they might try to do that. They're going to have to figure out how to fill in for Malcolm Brogdon. Maybe Wesley Matthews takes some time to acclimate, but they should be pretty much okay. But otherwise, all these teams are going to be working on stuff, and they're not going to be really hitting the ground running because all of the teams in the running, really, for the Eastern Conference are teams without much continuity. Orlando's really the only one that has real continuity, and if Markel Fultz is going to be playing this season, they're going to try to work him in, that might throw a wrench into their plans as well. So there's going to be a bit of a runway here for the Raptors to figure their shit out, just the way there will be with all these other teams. And so I think it's smart to expect early on that the team is not going to be quite so crisp. I think they'll be sort of getting back to their offensive principles from the season prior to the Kawhi year, just because they're going to have to if they want to create open looks all over the place with with consistency the way they did in that culture reset season of 2017-18 and I think you know as they get back to that and sort of pivot away from the Kawhi centered offense they ran last year there'll be some growing pains there as well Pascal Siakam's going to have some growing pains he's going to he's going to have to adjust to the full burden of being a number one option as we talked about on last week's show with Vivek there's going to be 
some growing pains there. There's going to be a bit of a, a time lapse here between what we see as, as Pascal Siakam to start the season and what the fully realized version of him will be probably somewhere around the mid part of the season. And I think those first 20 games or so is going to be a bit of a, a feeling out process for everybody. And, you know, I think Nick Nurse is also going to figure out, hey, which of these collection of underwhelming wings are actually going to play for me long term? We're going to see Stanley Johnson get some run. That might lead to some losses because Stanley Johnson's not particularly good right now. Ronda Hellish Jefferson can't shoot. How will that work? And how will they fit in the lineups? And how will they balance offense and, and defense? I think it's going to be very much a testing period here for, for Nick Nurse, too. And that's all going to lead to a bit of a slower start. And I think Kyle sort of saying, I'm not going to go balls to the wall right away. I'm going to take my time. I'm still a month behind where I've been. Marcus Saul not practicing with the team um, and just sort of sitting it out early on in Quebec City and also acknowledging that they're going to load manage him a little bit and be careful with him because he's 34 going on 35 and he played a shit ton of basketball over the last year. I think they're going to be really careful with those guys. And so, like I said, it's going to be a bit of a slow start. I think if I was to guess what their record will be after 20 games I would say something close to 500 as opposed to you know the crazy starts they've gotten off to in the past where they've been like 15 and 5 23 and 7 whatever it's been I don't think they're going to be quite that potent out of the gate but I think there's room for them to improve obviously and their schedule gets significantly more home heavy as the season goes on uh they're pretty light on home games in both October and November December is a big home month and February is a big home month as well other than that it's a lot of long road trips early on in the season, and I think we're going to see that maybe play on them a little bit. When you compile that with the trip to Japan and all of the sort of adjustment that comes in with that, it's going to be a bit of a slow start. And that's fine. It's going to be okay. No one needs to panic. No one needs to panic about anything this season. Again, it's the no worries Hakuna Matata season, and there's not really a need to freak out over a loss here or a loss there. I would hope that the title run and the sort of diminished importance of regular season basketball compared to what that playoff run was in terms of intensity and all that stuff I know there's going to be a playoff race sort of but not really like they'll, they'll make it in I'm sure if they keep everyone around and healthy I would just hope that people don't lose their minds over like the fifth regular season game because that will happen I'm sure like Raptors fans are uh, nuts to a fault sometimes and that's good I love it it's 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 fantastic it's what the fan base is about but I do think with the title painting sort of this entire season in a different light I would hope that people sort of loosen the reins a little bit and loosen the sort of the grip on the panic button at all times because there's really not going to be a need for it early on. It's expected if they if they start slowly. And maybe the fact that everyone seems to have a damn chip on their shoulder, according to what they said at uh, Media Day, go to Yahoo Sports Canada for the, their mashup of all the people not caring about the haters. It's fantastic. Maybe the fact that they're all going to be so inspired will lead them to a faster start than expected. If that happens, awesome. If not, there's really not much cause for alarm because this is a team that's sort of built and set up to really coalesce into something more in sort of the second part of the season into the backstretch when things get super easy on their schedule and super home heavy. Um, so that's where I'm at with the whole Kyle saying they're a month behind and he's not going to go balls to the wall. If they were going balls to the wall to start with, I would be concerned. <laughs> if they were just like all out, Kyle playing 38 minutes, Gasol playing every single night and not having much of a minutes restriction, that would be bad to me because that's not setting yourself up for long-term success. And like I said, I would hope that Having seen what it takes to win a title and go deep into the playoffs, Raptors fans will realize, okay, 
we don't need to flip out if Stanley Johnson plays 18 minutes instead of the 13 minutes we think he should have played in in the fifth game of the season. Um, you know, thinking back when I was doing my ranking every Raptor update, when I came to Lorenzo Brown, I remembered how people got so up in arms over how much Lorenzo Brown was playing early on last season. He was playing crunch time. And I mean, yes, that team was sort of destined to win 50 plus games anyway and was never really in jeopardy of losing playoff standing or anything like that. This team, it's a little bit more pressing, I suppose, but there were so many people freaking out in like game five about Lorenzo Brown. I would hope that the title sort of puts everything into perspective and like it's a long season. Sometimes Stanley Johnson's going to play some minutes. Sometimes Malcolm Miller is going to get it, get in in crunch time and play weird minutes. I think they're going to be experimental and sort of kooky early on. That's not ultimately going to dictate the health of this of the team long term. And ultimately, that might actually benefit them long term because they're not riding their seven or eight most trusted guys into the ground early on. So that's where I'm at with all of that. It's going to be fine if they start pretty slow. Not to worry about it. Before we get into one last thing on today's show, as we talk about Norman Powell and OG Ananobi, I want to remind you that Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, let's wrap this thing up with a little bit of talk about Norman Powell and OG Ananobi, in particular OG, because OG was sort of talked about one of the topics du jour at Media Day on Saturday, especially when it came to Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri talking about how he's so ready and how he looks great in, in sort of preseason workouts and all that stuff, and how he's due for a big season. And I think a lot of people expected last year for OG to be due for a big season going into last year and the circumstances were never really set up for actually for that to actually happen right like he was never going to have the opportunity that he had in his first season just because Kawhi was there and Danny Green was there and Pascal Siakam emerged into this ridiculous guy who had to play 30 plus minutes every game otherwise you'd be you know negligent in what you were doing and OG early on seemed like he had a shot to maybe get into the start at power forward once in a while. Maybe him and Pascal would platoon the way uh, the centers did early on in the year. But when Pascal looked that good and then OG missed some time early on after his father passed away, unfortunately, and then he had a concussion and then he had like a bunch of little nagging injuries here and there, it just never set up for him to ever have any sort of success at the level people expected of him. And I think a lot of people, I think William Liu wrote about this, how OG was kind of due to disappoint people last season just because 
the high note he left off with at the end of the 2018 playoffs where he had that insane game three against the Cavs when they almost made that comeback in the second half and he had 20 points and he hit that three to tie the game just before LeBron did that unspeakable bullshit to ruin all of our lives um you know OG he left off the taste in people's mouths was so sweet it was just never gonna be that sweet coming back and it's unfortunate that he had those expectations built in. It's unfortunate that people kind of tossed around the Kawhi comparisons to him so liberally, and then lo and behold, they go and trade for Kawhi, and it's like, oh yeah, no, that's not Kawhi. Like, OG is never going to be that guy, but he can still be a very useful player, and I think there's a lot to be excited about with OG this season, and I think the situation is set up for him to really succeed this year. It's He's going to be back in the role that he occupied in his rookie season where he was so successful as the fifth guy in the lineup who can just stand in the corner, bury a corner three, cut off the ball, make take advantage of you know space that's created by everybody else, seep into those little soft spots, get those dump-off passes on the baseline. Him and Gasol, I think, are going to have a really great connection if they play together quite a bit this season, which I expect they will. And I think it's probably OG's job to lose as the small forward to start the season. I know he's got his issues with ball handling and maybe he's best suited to be a four long term, but that's not the way the roster's set up. And, you know, if he can prove that he can be a wing and hang on the perimeter a little bit more and maybe have a bit of juice with the ball in his hands, you know, he's had some pretty nice moments and flashes here and there where he can drive into space and find a cutter and be a pretty decent secondary playmaker. Maybe there's a way for OG to, you know, kind of become more of a full-fledged wing in terms of his playing style. And, I think there's, with the defense, it's so obvious with him. He's a ridiculous defender. He can defend pretty much any spot, whether it's point guards, whether it's, you know, bigger guys, whether it's wings. Like, he seems to be able to defend pretty much all over the place. Think back to the playoffs when he did such a good job on Bradley Beal in 2018 and, and John Wall in spurts as well. You know, I think he's probably better suited to not guard those small sort of fleet of foot guys just because he kind of gets hung up on screens here and there. But as an on-ball defender on, like, wings or power forwards or whatever it is, I think, you know, there's it's really hard to find a guy with that kind of raw defensive toolbox that, you know, it's just hard to come across across the league. And so that's always going to be sort of a thing that builds in a floor for OG. The three-point shooting and the free throws obviously are a thing, and... Whether or not he's actually like a 37% three-point shooter like he was as a rookie or closer to the 32-33 he was last year, I don't know. And I think the free throw stroke is really going to have to prove to me that he, like, that's such a good tell, right? If you, if a guy can knock down free throws with a plum, then it usually means he's got a pretty decent stroke, good touch, and maybe his three-point stroke can stand to improve. If there's a bit of a red flag with OG is that his free throw numbers have never been particularly good, and maybe that just means he's not going to be a great three-point shooter. Maybe he benefited that first season from that, you know, culture reset offense where he was just constantly receiving wide open corner looks because no one really cared to guard him no one really saw him as a threat and he benefited from that and maybe last year where there was less in the way of space for him to work because he was working with second units and there wasn't like you know a clear guy sort of soaking up all the attention there for him to benefit off of maybe that was more indicative of what he is as an offensive player and if that's the case then you know build in your expectations as such but I think there's room for OG to really sort of find what made him tick in that first season this year and I think working off of Siakam, working off of Gasol, working off of Lowry, he's just going to get a lot of looks. He's going to get a lot of those corner threes that he buried with pretty you know, routine consistency early on in his rookie season, and then maybe that off-the-ball stuff comes as the season goes along. He gets more confident. Teams start, start to sort of you know, think about him as a three-point threat again, and then he can use that sort of rotating defense, sort of in the same way Norman Powell does, use his sort of nice touch off-the-bounce 
to you know cause havoc and make teams have to you know be honest when defending him and you know, just sort of be ready for all possibilities with him as opposed to just one or two. And so yeah, I think this is a big year for OG. And I think ideally they would like to get a long look at him this year because he's up for an extension next summer all of a sudden. It's come very quickly here. And that's going to be a big question. You know, do they do the same thing with, with Siakam that it seems like they might do where they sort of kick it down the road a little bit? Or do they, you know, try to lock him up long term the way they've done typically in the past with their guys like Terrence Ross or DeMar DeRozan? And do they try to ensure OG is going to be around a long time going into whatever the next phase of the team is going to be? This is going to be a big year to determine exactly what they do with him. And I, you know, I'm hesitantly optimistic about what OG can do this season, just because I think the circumstances are far more set up for him to find success at the things he's good at, and then potentially have a bit of an expanded role at stuff he's not quite good at yet. Because of the lack of creation that Kawhi has sort of left a vacuum with with the team, I think OG can move into some of that. And whether it's successful, I don't know. And I think this is why you can kind of expect this Raptors offense to not quite be as potent as it has been in the past, because there's going to be a lot of guys who, like OG, are probably going to be asked to step into roles they haven't really been comfortable with before, or haven't even been asked to do before, and there are going to be some growing pains with that. And that's okay. That's all part of the slow start to the season that I think everybody's expecting, or should be expecting, or should be at least ready for in the event that it happens. It's just going to be a lot of guys figuring out exactly what their limits are. And that's part of the excitement of this year. It's part of, you know, what makes this season so intriguing to see which guys will pop and which guys won't. Um, but, you know, it's it's probably going to have its little side effects here and there, too. I think OG will have his ups and downs, much like Pascal. He's going to be less sort of asked to do the things Pascal is going to do, obviously. He's not going to be the number one. He's going to be the number five, typically, when he's out there. But I, I do think there's uh, the circumstances seem a little bit more conducive to OG's success than they were last year. And that's exciting because if he can make a real bump here in terms of his production, in terms of what his future looks like as an NBA player, then that changes a lot for this team. Like, that changes whether they, you know, potentially even go into the deadline thinking of moving guys or, or, if, or if they look at him and say, hey, like, this is a guy who's a bit of a building block now. Why would we sort of forego what could be a really sort of developmental season where we can get into the playoffs, OG can get some more run in the postseason, and maybe they go into next year and it's like, okay, now Pascal and OG are the two foundational building blocks as opposed to just having just one. Um, you know, there's also trade possibilities, right? Like if OG really flashes as someone who you think, who other teams think can be sort of the, the centerpiece of a deal, maybe that opens up an avenue to go trade for a star with OG being someone that you trade going the other way. And I'm not saying that's likely or anything, but that's another option. When a guy pops like, like you think he can and he becomes a way more valuable asset than you thought he was that just it changes your entire outlook for from all different angles whether it's you know what you're selling to people to come and play with in the future whether it's sort of evaluating what you need in the offseason if you're going to target rfas with your cap space you know if, if og looks like he's going to be a prime performer for you and he can be your starting three going forward then you know do you need to go try to throw a bunch of money at jalen brown or whatever it is you probably don't and you can just stick with the in-house solution and allocate your resources elsewhere it's a big year for og man and, I, and i'm excited to see how it's all going to turn out. And I was going to touch on Norm a little bit, but I think we're kind of running low on time. So what I'm going to do is just save Norm for another episode because Norm is very fascinating this season. I think he's set up to maybe surprise people with his play this year. And like OG, I think the circumstances are a little bit more set up for him to find success with the things he does well than it has been in the past or maybe ever with his, with his team, aside from little doses here and there. Um, so we'll get to Norm again later this week. We'll get someone on to talk about about Norm, and that'll be fun. So stick around for that later in the week. 
until then, please subscribe, rate, review this show, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places you get your podcast. It's very much appreciated when you do that. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Not sure what the plan is for tomorrow just yet. That might be the Norm episode. We'll see. Uh, we'll catch up probably with Katie by the end of the week as well. Josh Howe's going to come on on Thursday. We're going to talk about... Uh, Fred Van Vliet and what his season has in store and sort of his free agency question which is sort of the slept on free agency of all the guys who have expiring deals. Fred's very interesting this year. I also think midweek we'll probably do the next semi-final in the trivia tournament with John Chick and Vivek Jacobs so stick around for that too. Lots to get to this week and very happy that we're back to daily. Very excited for the season to get going. Excited to see what comes out of training camp over the next couple days too. Gonna be a lot of fun and yeah we'll get to Norm tomorrow so stick around for that as well and that's gonna do it. Thank you so much for tuning in And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.